0: Heels off the top. Larkham.
1: Herbert smashes through the middle. Regan Drop goal from Larkham! Up it goes! Could you believe it? Larkham has de to debeer to Welcome back everyone, welcome to another week of the and Gold Rugby Show, remembering we're the show that's getting you over the advantage line on the hottest topics of Australian rugby and this is probably a bit of a wrap-up show for us this year, we're diving into a few issues, obviously look at the World Cup final, but a bit of a look back in the year and maybe a, a quick look ahead, so um, we've got the, the A team back as per usual, Matt Rowley, how are you Matt?
0: Mate, I'm loving it, I'm loving it even better, you're in the chair.
1: <laughs> yes, that post Melbourne Cup hangover, well not quite hangover yet, maybe that's tomorrow um, And Hugh Cavill's joining us as well, how are you mate?
2: Not too bad Reg, not too bad, let's get stuck in
1: Yeah, so we've got to do a bit short and short, we'll obviously look at, work, look at the uh, the World Cup final and the result there So our top five is going to be, you know, what are your thoughts on the grand final? Uh, question two, highlights of the year, question three, player of the year Question four, downer of the year. And question five, what are you excited about for next year? So we're going to burn through these. First and foremost, Matt, I'm going to go to you as the closest thing we have to an Englishman. Um, the grand final, what were your <laughs> thoughts? What was your take?
0: So, so am I supposed to be destroyed by that? Am I don't, I, um, don't care. <laughs> <laughs> true. Um, look, um, yeah, it was a bit of a damp squib, I thought. I we Well... It wasn't like it wasn't closely contested, but it was. I think we all hoped that the um, Poms were gonna, you know, probably fire up for that. Um, and at the end of the day, I think it's amazing. You can forget everyone who's played rugby has been out there on the field when, and you you feel these moments. I, I've I've always felt for a while that there's, I don't know, some p- piece of content that you can do where you go through a game and you just note those moments that happen. I mean, I know in our reviews we do the turning points, but I think throughout a match there are these moments that happen that shape the whole match. And I don't know. I think for the Poms, probably the big one that happened earlier was Sinclair. Was it two minutes in? And um, we've all seen the stats since. He was the biggest running and the biggest offloading and, you know, passing prop in the whole tournament. Um, I mean, he did get deep in the tournament, so you'd hope so. But um, I, I think he was – I think for any team, when you see one of your big players go down and it's that early – I mean, it kind of it's happened to the Wallabies a few times. It happened last – if I remember rightly, happened last time. And when you get one of those, uh, those injuries and you go, oh, so, you know, Reserve Prop, who was supposed to be coming on and making a big impact, has now got to play 78 minutes. And you just know the whole plan is just thrown out um i don't know that that's got a massive i think that's got a massive psychological impact um i think and and that happened early on which is a real pity because i thought this could have been a ding-donger that even with because i thought the POM soaked up so much pressure early on um, from the saffers and i thought mm, you know they, they could turn this round. this could be like a bit of a do-over but didn't turn out that way um, and in the end of the day, it, it turned out that Warren Gatlin was right. You know, the, yep. POM, the Poms played their final in the, in the semi. And, you know, it, and you can understand that emotionally they had given everything to, um, you know, playing that game. And maybe the game that the Poms and Eddie had played, which was to only play the All Blacks once in five years to save it up for this one game, it paid off for the semi, but it um, stuffed them for the final.
1: Yeah, a good point, Matt. I mean, I, I made the observation before the game that um, in World Cup history, the last team to, to win a game, every team that has been in the All Blacks in the World Cup has lost the next game, except for the Wallabies in 91. So, you right. know, it's a huge effort strategically to get people sort of, you know, up for that All Black game, but then to back it up the week after, more so for a grand final. Um, you know, we, we struggled with it in 2003, again, with Eddie Jones, with a brilliant tactical game to beat the All Blacks back in 2003. Same thing happened this year um, and, and is the inability to step up. It was interesting, the turning point. Yeah, Sinclairs a huge one. And um, there was a great tweet the other day, and I think it's Oom Rugby. Um, OOM, double O-M underscore rugby, had a great, great um, picture of that scrum about the 16th minute mark. So after Sinclair's gone off and South Africa just powers through the English scrum, and uh, the English collapse and uh, Garcia awards the penalty to South Africa. And they've edited beautifully that shot that came late in the game of them engraving South Africa onto the World Cup jersey, but (laughs) (laughs) on on the World Cup trophy. But it looks like it's happened at that first scrum And it's perfect. You know, he's bang on because there was a time in that, like, you know, what was it, six twelve at halftime? You know, I, I thought this is a chance for Eddie to come into it and show he's the, the coach that he can be and harness the troops and all that sort of stuff. But pretty soon afterwards or even before, like that joke of a of a of a tweet, you just knew the game was South Africa's because they were gonna dominate in the scrums, they were gonna go for the you know, go for the penalty from each scrum and Pollard was gonna do his business from that. So um yeah. it, it was a tight game. I really enjoyed it. He, you know, two tries first time south africa scored tries in their grand final. what was your reading the game did you enjoy it as a, as a i won't say spectacle but as an event yeah i did i did and i found the criticism
2: of it interesting as it was predictable i mean you look back at the history of world cup finals and actually the last one in 2015 was a real outlier in the way that it it, it you know involved tries you know i think it had five tries in that game and and um and i think the they might have scored... I did actually a bit of research in this. I think they scored three back in 87. Um, yep. But since then, there's wouldn't, there hasn't been more than two tries scored in a World Cup final. Yeah, um, right. And in fact, there's been a couple of scoreless, uh, trialless ones, in fact, in, I think, 95 and in 2007. Um, so you know, they're never going to be end to end encounters. Uh, There's just too much on the line. And, and, and so I thought, you know, the physicality and the skill was, it was better than what I expected. I thought it might be a box kickathon. And um, with, with, with neither side really wanting to play much rugby um, and content to let the other side do it and try and soak it up. But um, it, 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 it didn't actually end up that way. And I thought in the last 20 minutes, especially it really quite opened up and, and England had a chance. I mean, as much as you say, I think, you know, that having that loss of Carl sinkler and, and some of their scrum issues um, were, you know, worked against them. But I mean, South Africa lost, um lost their second rower. Who's who, Luda Jaeger. I think it was, yeah, wasn't it yeah. in, in about yep. the 20th minute. So, you know, it wasn't, wasn't all one way in that, in that regard. And, and yeah, you know, that they had their chances England, but you, that South African defense was just too good. You know, it, it was, it was absolutely phenomenal. And, and you know, in a way, the Springboks are just built for World Cup rugby in some ways, aren't they? That physicality they've got, but they've got that that's you know kicking ability, that speed out wide. It all just added up, and in the end, you know, to score those two tries like they did, um, sort of to put the icing on the cake. But I'm I'm glad they did it because it really confirmed that you know they were the best team on the night. You know, it took the refereeing out of it, It took a whole lot of even though I thought Gus was pretty good, you know, it yeah, it took a whole lot of factors out of the game. That, and, and it was, you know, it, it was a good convincing win and, and they were clearly the better team on the night. And, and yeah, I mean, England, yeah, Sinclair was a blow, but they just didn't quite – they they weren't there. They weren't running through walls like they were against the All Blacks, were they? It, it was – um, yeah, yeah it, it was a bit disappointing.
0: Well, I, I think you're right on the bigger thing, which was just mentally that was the most important thing and you saw with the missed passes and all the things. Yeah, that,
1: exactly. They that, yeah. that, that, that
0: didn't go right. That They were the bigger thing. They just weren't switched on. And, God, that – that passed Ben Young's through to nobody, it was, it was just bizarre, but there were two things that I thought were um, really, really interesting. I thought um, in terms of pieces of analysis, um, there was one like Dave Wessels um, actually tweeted, I think about 20 minutes into the game. um, Kepler, um, good friend of the pod. um, Yes. England gambled by not picking specialist tight head lock and now reserve tight head prop has to play 80 scrum going to be a big factor here. And that was probably when there was, had been one scrum in the game by that point, I think. Mm. And I think he spotted, which somebody who's actually educated in the game and does that for a living (laughs) had spotted. And I bet plenty of them did that, you know, one of the things that England had been living off, which is to have two amazing, like loose locks, like yep. Mario Toji um, and... Um, 40 laws. Um, yeah, 40 Courtney Laws. Yeah, Courtney Laws. Yeah, yeah to, have, to have those two guys, you know, out and about, you know, in the tackling and running and doing all the things they can is like, well, you don't have a big lump, you know, the, you know behind your tight head prop. And then your tight head prop goes down and, um, oops, it, this is really, really exposed. And I think the Saffirs had, and I would imagine, many top flight coaches you know probably would have spotted that too and said right this is where we go boys we're going to go straight through that tight head prop no matter what happens and 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 they did the the other one that I thought was really really interesting and I and I shared I saw I know you saw it there Reg was um Squidge Rugby yeah um yeah. I think the only really only real rugby YouTuber I'm aware of if he if he's still on YouTube at the moment I think he has to move around a bit but he um did a piece of analysis of basically how England took down South Africa. And his whole point in that... New Zealand you mean? Sorry, yeah. uh, How they took down New Zealand, sorry. And his whole point was that if you look at 18 of England's last matches, um, how, well, 18 of England's last wins, I think all of them but three, had been where they've scored first and they've scored first in the first 10 minutes, if not in the first three minutes. Yep. And it basically goes into how, you know, Eddie Jones, and we all know Eddie Jones would like, what's the, fr- what's, he's he's been quoted as saying, if I could orchestrate every play in a rugby match, that would be my perfect, that would be my perfection. And if you think about it, the one place you can do that is off the kickoff. So if you can organise it so that you're kicking off, you know which part of the field you're going to kick to, you've got a very good idea what they're going to do back to you. And his whole thing was if you kick it deep enough, they get to put it out, you get a line out inside their half And you go from there and it's basically every single move, every single pass, every single ruck is orchestrated. And he he basically plots that out in terms of what they did to the All Blacks, for example, to score that try within whatever it was, three minutes. minutes. Yeah. And then suddenly you've got seven points in a World Cup playoff match that you're ahead of somebody by, and we know these matches are usually decided by that or less. And you're ahead by that in three minutes and the other teams against the uh, scoreboard pressure. And what's interesting about the world cup final is, well, it was pretty much the opposite that happened. Um, They didn't get the kickoff. They were stuck in their half. The Springboks basically applied the exact same thing to them. And it just never came off. And, Anyway, with that in context, those two things together and you can't help but think that, yeah, that's kind of when you when you maybe have a little bit too much robot rugby in your game plan when it doesn't work out, then things really go to shit.
1: Yeah, 100%. And little things too. I think, yeah, it's really interesting, Rassi Erasmus, what he's done. He's had the team for a couple of years and... Um, you wouldn't call him tactical, but that he he's obviously brought that team together. You know, from a from a cultural side, that they seem very united. Um, Khaleesi, their captain, has developed. Been seeing some interviews on him. They've spent a lot of time with him from leadership perspective for over the last 12 months, and you can really see him blossom there. But just tactically, from Erasmus, and maybe it's his offside as too, is he's got a great defensive coach there. But you know, little things like Pete's uh, step to toy at, at uh, open side really targeted um, Farrell early on. And if you watch that first 20, 25 minutes, uh, Farrell barely touches the ball without Detroit right in his pocket sort of thing. So that really threw him off his game uh, quite substantially. And I, I just thought the whole show, like, like you, you said, mate, they, it was such, they just, they suffocated. Like it was really entertaining. I enjoyed it. Both teams threw it around a bit early. There's a I remember England throwing it from the, behind their own line at stages, but it just the intensity and the pressure that South Africa built up, and then it it burst late in the game with those couple of tries to the to the wings, which was just fantastic. A couple of absolutely cracking tries, one a really good team effort, and then you know one more just Colby Cheslin, um sort of Cheslin Colby out in the wing, just stepping through them all. So just you know, a a great grand final and and um you know i i probably was cheering a little bit for england cuz the Eddie jones thing but i more than happy for south africa to win they a lot of good guys there they seem like um but uh, amazing um amazing sort of end to a what's been a pretty fantastic world cup it it's interesting though reg i mean every world cup that i can broadly remember
2: you you know is there's there's a certain sense of justice at the end of the tournament where you go well they're probably the best team in the world yeah I don't know if that one exists here. I'm not saying that South Africa aren't the best team in the world because they're holding the trophy, and therefore they are. I don't, I'd don't. i say if you asked me two weeks ago, are South Africa the best team in the world? I I would have probably said no. Um, Maybe that's the way that World Rugby is at the moment, where all the teams are so close that that particular title holder changes every week. But, I mean, after the pool games, you would have said it's New Zealand. After the quarters, you would have said it's New Zealand. After the semis, you would have said it's England.
1: And after the final, South Africa just get their nose in front. Um, yeah, you're d- bang on yeah. right. I remember. Yeah, someone else said that during the week. So that you know, deserved champions deserve. A, you're not. I don't think that's right. I think you're right. They don't haven't sort of strolled through this tournament, uh, even as England did in 2003, or New Zealand have done for the last couple of tournaments, um, even Australia previous to that. But uh, it, it, maybe it is a sign of world rugby at the moment. And we we had those those couple of weeks there where Wales and Ireland alternated between number one, deservedly or not, they're up there. Um, New Zealand, obviously more deservedly, were up there than England took over there. And then South, South Africa. South Africa. It's a great sign for world rugby that you know there's four or five teams that are pushing that number one spot at any minute. minute. So um you know it's uh, 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 what we want for World Cups. It's it's not. Uh, a lay down was there until sort of um, the final moments.
2: And and the only other thing I'll say is that this, this might bust the, the classic thing of what was a Bob Dwyer's that to win a world cup, you've got to have what, how many players in a world Uh, fifteen? Five. Yeah. Well, maybe the the Brocks might get five, but it's certainly not. Nah you know, a lot would walk well, in. but um, yeah.
0: Only in retrospect, mate. I mean, exactly, yeah, well, that's exactly. right.
2: The, that's right. the right.
0: teams of the tournament, oh, my God. I mean, that, yeah. they turned around in one match, didn't they? Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. like the team, the team of the tournament leading up to the final was basically, I don't know, what, you know 10 Englishmen and a few Kiwis. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, you know, and then suddenly it was like all these box. And, you know, I thought South Africa were the best team to play in that match. Yeah, like, exactly. You know, you know, with the run that they'd had in, um, with you know the, the style of game you were going to play in a World Cup final, that they hadn't had to play New Zealand in the semi, you know, all those things, they had the exact team, and um, and, and they did really really well. I mean, and to give them their due, you know, yes, there was a lot of box kicking, yes, there was a lot of territory, but you know, when the when a couple of tro- when a couple of half chances needed to be taken. I mean, you know, those the two tries they scored, um, you know, it was down to fine margins, right? It was, you know, well with Chesley, you know, um, uh, Chesley, uh, I want to say,
2: Chesley, Chesley, Kobe. Kobe. Yep. Colb, <laughs> he um he
0: uh you know he he made that right you know it was there was there was nothing there and it was just pure brilliance um that he did and and then with the other with the other wingers as well just that chip and chase and the, the right bounce but then the right pass everything was nigh on perfect to make those two tries happen
1: yeah uh look i mean and we'll wrap up soon but um they uh the box um I actually forget the point I was gonna make, so yeah, we might as well wrap up there. And I said, you guys got anything else to say about the the, the grand final? I guess the World Cup in general, as we sort of move on to the the next part of the pod.
2: It's a cracking
1: World Cup, though,
2: isn't it? I, I yeah, it's fundamentally changed the landscape of international rugby, and it will, especially in the Southern Hemisphere, because I think what it's done is it's probably spurred on that discussion around what the role of Fiji and Japan, especially yeah. in Southern Hemisphere rugby. Um, It probably should have started the whole World League debate up again, but that seems to be dead in the water. But certainly, um, yeah, um, it'll have have ramifications because um, I think, you know, and and at very least it might see the Sunwolves be put back on the agenda because, um, you know, they were taken out partially because of the Japanese Rugby Union withdrawing their support. But now it seems like that might turn around after this. So I wouldn't be surprised to see the Sunwolves back in and around Super Rugby.
1: Yeah, so I remember my point. The moment's gone, but yet you know, we talked about the last time about the Australian rugby way and check his comments there, but and what we wouldn't give for a uh someone with a boot like Andre Pollard who can get us mm. r- relieve pressure, get us down the field, but also kick most his kicks. I mean I'd take that every day of a week, uh, for a wallaby team, but um that's by the by. Nick Nick uh, in the podcast booth also gives us the fact that apparently 1.84 million tickets were sold at 99.3% capacity, which is incredible That's as well. That's amazing. So, yeah, awesome. Well done uh, to Japanese and all the fans for getting behind it. I know a lot of people travel too. Um, look, let's move on. So we talked about that. We want to talk now the year... Um, in general, this may be our last podcast. We may come back if something happens from a, a coaching perspective or something. But ostensibly, let's call this the, the final one and, and the highlight of the year. Uh, Hugh, I'll go to you first, mate. What was the highlight of the year from a rugby? What's sport? a no-brainer? I mean,
2: it's the highlight of the decade that blood is low. I mean, to, to, <laughs> to put it bluntly, I mean, I it genuinely probably. I mean other than various super rugby premierships that either of it, both of our sides of one <laughs> I mean, get our obligatory mention in now, but you know, for, from a Wallabies perspective, that has to be it. I mean, the a world cup final in 2015 is, is obviously up, up there, but that one game is easily the most impressive game of the decade. Um, and stands alone as this weird outlier looking at the context of the whole year as to where we ended up as to some, Night where something clicked and everything went our way in that magical night. But I mean, yeah, the, the Perth i was was we'll be getting a lot of airplay well into the future, and I will be probably showing my grandkids it because mm. uh, it was it was just something else, wasn't it? And nothing comes close, does it?
1: No. Matt, anything come comes close to you?
0: Well, no. I mean, I think I talked about it on the podcast following that following that match that that um that night it it was my it was actually probably my peak in any rugby experience was going in my 30th school reunion to watch uh my school win the premiership um outright which they hadn't done for like 11 years and then with five mate well five of my close mates go to our reunion afterwards which I don't know 100 other mates and then Go up there to think, oh, here we go. This is going to be a bit of a shellacking, but at least with a bunch of mates. And then watch us do that. I mean, we ended up, we had an impromptu singing of the school song in Latin. Oh, wow. Uh, at, at the end of it, because everyone oh, was just. God, yeah.
2: There yeah. is you our know. credibility on the street. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: Yeah. This, this is. This, this is. This is
1: the... <laughs> common man. <mode. laughs>
0: um but yeah sorry about that guys but um like yeah it was that was just unbelievable no one could believe it, it you know for those two things sorry it was a bit personal but those two things for me to come together um but to be topped off by exactly as you say Hugh a win that no one could no one saw coming and no one could believe as it as it happened and it, I think now you look at it in retrospect you go well this wasn't the most amazing all blacks team ever actually once you put them under a bit of pressure and we did that we played as well as the poms did and everyone's looking at the poms going oh my god look someone can destroy the all blacks we did that um you know a, a, a few weeks before that um and it was basically just defensive pressure and then well a few bits of smarts like you know picking them off around the rucks and stuff like that which we managed to forget the following week so you know, stuff me if I can figure out what the coaching was that made that happen, and how it then forgot everything, and then walked into it. You know, a punch for the rest of the, you know, in, for those World Cup matches. Um, but yeah, it's 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 got to be those th- those two things together were absolute highlights. I mean, I would also then say, um, you know, seeing seeing England play that well. Um, as well was 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 quite interesting and I guess with the Eddie Jones under slash overcurrents to it um, was pretty interesting as well to see someone to see a team pick up and play that well was was pretty interesting.
1: Yep yep look I am going the opposite way that wasn't uh, not the opposite way a different way that was a fantastic match but you know and we'll. We will hang on that for a long time. You're right, Hugh. But it's been sullied ever since by every match that has followed. My rugby peak this year came as a a bit of a surprise. I think it was a midweek or um, Friday. I forget which day of the week it was, but it was not the usual Saturday afternoon. It's when I flicked on the live stream to watch the Australia Under-20s take on the Kiwi 20s down at Bond University, and I wasn't expecting much. I think we'd had a scrappy win over Fiji and maybe, you know, a, a bit more of a win over Samoa if it was them, but nothing overly impressive. And I wasn't expecting much from this, and it was a wet-weather game, and I just thought the Kiwis would come away with it. And as we turned out, we won 24-0, and it is the best Wallaby performance, sorry, not a Wallaby performance, Australian rugby performance I have seen in a number of years. Um, you know, tactically they just shut the Kiwis down. They were so smart. The forwards were incredible. The backs were amazing. Um, And I have not seen, and including that 57-point game, I have not seen as dominant a performance by an Australian rugby team over a New Zealand team for probably a decade. Um, And, you know, then they did back it up. They backed it up at the Junior World Cup and got all the way to the grand final, unfortunately, going down there to France, if I recall. But Mm. I... um, I just thought that was... I was on a, such a high after watching that game because maybe it was just that little glimpse to the future that I was after, but I was just so impressed with the smarts of this team. It wasn't just some natural freaky athletes. It was a whole of team performance. Everyone contributed, and they did it for the whole match. It was an amazing game. So that—that that is far and away, um, probably surprisingly my highlight of the year from a Wallaby perspective.
0: Good, good call, Rich. Yeah, that's a good one.
1: Um, all right, the next question is as I look to my notes, I'm really organised tonight, is, what, what are we, uh, the player of the year. Of the year.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, um, Matt, any thoughts See Anyone stand out to you?
0: Well, <laughs> this is a bit of a toughie, isn't it? Um, it is, isn't it? It doesn't actually necessarily talk... I mean, if if you're going to talk Wallaby, um, I thought, you know, Corbetti, uh, really came through and, you know, just solidified as, as a winger um, uh, for Australia. I thought uh, he was quite outstanding, but um, God, trying to be a little bit more neutral. And, you know, for example, you know, we just finished a world cup and we saw a bunch of people, oh my God, Underhill, like um, if that kid keeps going, he's going to put, you know, like, you know, for me, you know, George Smith is the best seven there's ever been. Don't care what anyone wants to go on about with Richie McCaw. um, But I think this kid, he managed to, to, at the moment, he looks like he's taking some of the better things, From George Smith but obviously playing in a different sort of era Uh, and he puts it together with I don't know a bit of Michael Hooper plus um, I'm I'm trying to think who I've seen do the sort of offensive defense that Underhill's doing Mm. I'm not even sure I can think of somebody right now Um, and he puts all you know in in terms of those big driving tackles where he's just picking people up and driving them back 10 meters um, he's quite a revelation and had a lot to do with why England got as far as they did. So, I know where I know where the Australian rugby podcast, but he he blew me away. I yeah, don't know if I've seen a player have an impact like him for a while.
1: Agreed, Hugh. What about yourself? Did you look specifically Australian, or did you cast further afield? Oh look, uh, Australian's
2: probably the place I'll start. I, I, yeah, I yeah. think It'll be interesting to see who walks away with the John Eels Medal. I mean, I think that's that's happening in about a week's time. I I, I suspect it it might be Michael Hooper, um, but Marika Korobedi certainly stands a big chance. The other guy I'd love to see polling high is Alan Alatoa, um, who might be a bit um, hamstrung by some games he he sat out, um, you know, through the year as a, as we rotated through our props. But um, I thought he was he was really excellent. Um. In, in the way that uh he he carried himself through the whole year super rugby as well as um as well as into the wallabies um and of course you know that that Brumbies team was was a pretty good one um yeah internationally I, I don't know like it's peter Steph de Toit walked away with the world rugby player of the year and and jeez, I don't know if that that one sits right with me um again, going off the back of our world cup discussion i mean obviously. You could probably say the best player on on South Africa and the best who are the best team. So so fair enough. But uh, um yeah, I, I don't know. It's it, it's an interesting state of flux in world rugby at the moment because I don't think there's that one outstanding player that we all sort of bow down to in the same way we might have done with a Dan Carter, um you know previously. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. There's no one. Uh, the guys I, I throw I throw out there in terms of player of the year is is a few of those players from from that Japanese side that yeah, I thought yeah. um, I, yeah. I thought really really could have um could have been nominated for um uh, world rugby player of the year. I think Matsushima was 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 my personal favorite, but there was a few few others in that side that were um yeah that were really outstanding. But yeah, yeah.
1: Look, uh, yeah, I. Mentioned Detroyed and his Player of the Year award. I thought all the nominations were a little bit odd there, but um, yeah, they always oh, are. They never get that one right.
0: Yeah, yeah no. mental.
1: That American Hooker, all due respect. I don't know how he got nominated in the top five. Um, the yeah, I, I the same as you, Hugh. In fact, uh, Cora Betty, absolutely. And I'll announce here because I don't think I could be bothered writing a post about it. I might. We'll see, but um, <laughs> every year we do these green and gold rugby uh, three two ones after each test on the forum, and it's great. We've been doing it for all I think maybe ten years, eleven years now. And mm. uh, uh, Corabetti won this year, so first no. time a winger, first time a winger's won it. We we love our open side flankers. It's been nominated by, dominated by Smith, Pocock, and Hooper over the years, with Willie Genia and James Slipper, I think, being the only other two to, to win that aren't uh, open sides. So Corabetti winning it, it's pretty damn significant. Um, that is. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think with due credit, because he, he's worked hard on his game. He's not just a finisher. He's done a lot of work close to the ruck. He's playing like a league winger, isn't he? He gets in close from the ruck and doesn't mind a clear out, but also the odd pick and drive and, and taking the pressure off his forwards. So, um, but also Alan Alatoa, who's the other one I, I thought there as well, Hugh. I thought he's been fantastic this year, stepped up in super rugby and pretty much maintained it in uh, the Wallaby season. I think a lot of us were thought, thinking that at least Queensland is that Taniela Tupo might grab that three Jersey, but uh, he didn't get a chance. Alan, Alatoa kept it from him, which was um, a great performance. And from an international perspective, I, I don't really consider it, but I really like Sam Underhill, as Matt said, but I will throw in Tom Curry as well as number six there. Mm-hmm. I thought he was fantastic as well. And those guys, I think are 21, 22. So, you know, plenty of years ahead of them, but, um, uh, two fantastic players. Um, all right, the downer of the year, and interpret uh, interpret this any way you want. Uh, I, I don't know if it's a, a moment or, or whatever. Uh, Matt, what stands out for you?
0: Oh, wow, the downer of the year. Actually, I'm, I'm going to throw to Hugh on that one for a second. Yeah, yeah, okay. Let me buy some time.
2: Oh, well, I mean, look, the downer of the year is, is probably, it, you could say the World Cup campaign as a whole, um, would be how I would describe it, um, because ah, uh, it is the most disappointing that I can remember. I mean, oh seven was disappointing, but at least we had a half decent win in the pool game. That that quarterfinal loss to England was a, was a blow, but this one it just seemed like we never fired a shot, you know, and and it really got you know deflating, especially seeing the end of the Michael Checky era and the fact that. I think everyone else saw that these tactics weren't working um, and he was probably the last one who did. And we saw that we were driving at some speed into a brick wall um, and had the chance to potentially pull away and we just chose to smash into the brick wall. And and our worst fears were realised before the tournament in that we, you know, dropped the game to Wales and then face England in the quarterfinals who were a team that historically we... Very, we struggled to beat, and of course that that was exactly what happened. Um, and I just don't like it when the cynical and uh, you know our, our our more cynical opinions are, are are proven true because it just encourages further cynicism down the line and pessimism down the line. Um, and so it was a bit disappointing that the opti- the optimistic view that we might be able to jag a few wins and, and string something together um, and challenge late in the tournament that wasn't what happened. So, I mean, that, that's that's the big down of the year, and you know, there's probably a few other nominees that we could throw out there, but um, I think yeah, there's there's a certain former fullback that might be uh, competing <laughs> for that title too. <laughs> yeah, but, look, we'll- yeah, I, I think in a rugby sense, we're, we're talking <clears throat> about that World Cup and 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 you know, the fact that we had that natural talent there and 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 a, and a team that probably could have given the title a shake, um. You know, considering where South Africa were two years ago and where we were two years ago, I'd say, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think there's a huge amount different there. But um, yeah, that's my that's my down of the year.
1: Yeah, well, you alluded to it, Hugh, and I'll jump in to give you a bit more time there, Matt. Um, <laughs> and also so I can maybe steal your thunder. But mm. uh, look, I, I this is the that was a World Cup performance I kind of expected, so I, I was prepared for it. Falao's the big one for me, and even putting aside you know, what's the potential outcome and all that sort of stuff. But he was an awesome player and he will go down as one of our greats, one of our very best, at least. And statistically, you know, the record's there. He's in our sort of top five all-time try scorer list. If he'd played for, you know, the next three or four years, he might have even challenged Campo at the top of that try scoring list. And he, you know, he was the face that everyone knew, Kids loved him, you know. He, he had his limitations and you know elements that frustrated us, but he was brilliant with the ball, um, exciting to watch. And you know, I'm I'm really torn about how to remember him now because of this this last 12 months of, of um of, of sort of controversy and drama. So that's sullied a huge year. That that'll be the big shadow for the 2019 rugby year for me is the whole Falau incident and. Uh, the, the fact that it'll probably go into 220, or that it'll definitely go into 220 as well, that's that's right. a big one for me, unfortunately.
0: Well, especially as it turned out that um, I was right and that we can actually play better rugby without him. No, but, yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> look, look no, actually, you guys had the two moments. I mean, the only thing I embellish on Hughes is that the absolute kicker on that one was when we then got to- told by the coach that, but, you know, he was playing the rugby as- Australians oh, yeah. wanted him to play. Like, that was just like the, oh, mate. <laughs> um, yeah, no, yeah, you can go and do it. And then to try and use that against us and kick us in the nuts with it was, I thought, you know, fairly terrible. Um, no, it's I don't know. It's hard to go beyond those two. We've we yeah. we've had um, pretty much an absolute shocker.
1: Yeah, <laughs> another one. Um, all right, well, let's try and turn this thing around for this the final segment. Um, and uh, we'll talk about what are you uh, excited about next year um and uh cavill i'll go to you first as well mate
2: well it's it's weird because i think we've sat here with you know shocker years in the last it's, yeah. it seems to be most of the last few years and been a bit down about it but I, we've had a shocky but i'm not that down about next year i think we've we touched on it uh in, in a previous podcast but mm-hmm. yeah with, with that under 20s red that you mentioned coming through the school boys win over new zealand as well yep. um you know you've got genuine talent that's come through the NRC that we've seen. Um, and, uh, you know, super rugby sides that have, as, as with every World Cup cycle, has sort of been a little bit stripped in terms of some of the more senior talent, um, which will give opportunities to these young blokes. So they're going to get a run um, and we're going to be able to see what they're made of. Um, I think we saw a story coming out this week that the Reds might throw the 10 jersey to, uh, was it Noah Lolesio? um um the the brumbies the, will yeah yeah the brumbies will sorry that um that's correct sorry reg um but you know we'll be seeing young young blokes in the 10 shirts we'll be seeing um some of our hopefully our, our gun um forwards as, as well coming through uh and being given a chance um and we'll see yeah i mean just the the wallabies of tomorrow being given a shot and that's not even to to mention the new coach coming in and and let's hope that they're someone with a bit of um clout and and talent and can can give our team you know the boost that it needs because i think we all kind of see that the talent's there um and you know we we we, i don't think it'll it'll take much to get us on the right track so um as yeah as much as there's plenty of plenty to moan about uh, I i hope that's in the rear vision mirror and there's certainly some some pretty good signs that uh that things could be good for the next, you know, two or three years, even if immediately it might be a bit of a bit of a lean patch with these young blokes giving them a chance. But hopefully the the long term rewards will come.
1: Yeah, good stuff, mate. I, I think that's that's great. I think you're, you're exactly right. A lot of people hopeful for those young guys coming through and the opportunities that will be given. Uh, Matt, what about you, mate? Yeah, look, I, I I go with that, but also I guess I just want to call bullshit on a lot of
0: there's every time at the moment you. Anyone says, oh, who's the new coach going to be on Twitter? You get five people go, well, that doesn't yeah. matter because the whole system's stuffed. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm just like, no, guys, look, I'm sorry. Um, Reg's analysis has proved this, um, that <laughs> that whilst, yes, um, systemic, st- systemic change makes a big difference, actually, in the last, whatever it is, 30 years or so, um, it's all over, it's been much of a muchness. Um, it just changes with coach, basically. So – look, you know, respect to all the different pundits who are out there with lots of different details and and whatever else. And obviously we've got some headwinds in terms of talent going overseas and all that sort of stuff. But I think where Hugh was coming from there is that we've got some amazing talent coming through. I think we've got some amazing talent right now who are just playing the most boneheaded style of rugby you can ever imagine and expecting to win international tests with it. Like just imagine if we can just get our win rate up above 50%, how amazing would that be? Um so and I think it's all possible. Like I, I think we've got players in there with capabilities that we haven't had for ages. Um and we're just we've just been wasting them for the last five years in some boneheaded cycle with some boneheaded you know, slavish um attachment to a style of some I don't even think it was a style of rugby it was the only style of rugby new. Just turned out it didn't work at international level. So look, you know, that plus some amazing talent. I think there's a bunch of people who want to make a difference. Um, yeah, uh, look, that, that to me is optimistic, right? It's like we've had someone self-sabotaging for the f- last five years to have that person out of the mix. um amazing change. Yeah, not that the next person is the messiah. I mean, already we've got stuff going around about who this actual next coach is going to be. But it's um, it's a change. And I agree with Hugh that I think, you know, we've – well, both of you guys have been saying it throughout the World Cup. We've got the talent there. This, mm-hmm. is, this, was, a, this was an amazing set of players, and we've got some people coming to add to it. Um, I think we can make this happen.
1: Yep, agreed. By extension, can I extend that out? Absolutely, we've got the players. New coach will be exciting, new approach. But it's pretty fascinating how what will happen across the globe. There's a whole bunch of new coaches coming on. You know, mm. New Zealand, um, uh, Ireland, South Africa. Um, uh, I think Eddie's staying around for a couple more years. I think France has got a new one coming on. We've got a new one coming on. Um, Wales got a new one coming on. It's It's, it's got to be quite uh, exciting in international rugby to see some new approaches, new thoughts on how uh, those respective teams will um, will approach things. Um, you guys are captured absolutely. The only other one I want to uh, discuss... Uh, or mention at least is next year is back to Tokyo for the uh, 2020 Olympics. And and, uh, we've got the sevens back on the cards again. And I'm pretty, you know, it's been an interesting time for our sevens. we The women haven't had it all their own way since winning in Rio four years ago or three and a bit years ago. But Timmy Walsh uh, has obviously moved on. We've got John Manetti there now and he's, things are looking good for the start to this year and they'll culminate in the Olympics. And then, um, Timmy Walsh's office moved over to the men. hill they'll they'll struggle more, but they've got some um, interesting uh, interesting selection choices. Jack Maddox playing for them uh, in the upcoming uh, qualifications and so on. So yeah, I I really loved the sevens at the Olympics last time, so I'll be looking forward to that again next year. So that on top of everything else is something else to look forward to. I reckon. Your beauty. Um. All right, that'll pretty much do us, lads. Uh, thanks to all our listeners for your support and your enthusiasm. We're always a bit blown away. We can always get a little bit blase about it all um, and unmotivated sometimes, but we always get some great feedback from our listeners. So we appreciate that. Um, Matt and Hugh, thanks for your uh, contributions as per, per usual and really probably carrying the load most of the year.
0: Well, you're welcome, Reg. It's good to have you back on at the end here to, to wrap it up. But um, yeah, no, you're right, mate. This um, it can become tough. We have been doing this for a little while now. And um, when you've had that many kick in the guts, it can be hard to get back up. But um, <laughs> yeah, thanks to you guys. And thanks, yeah, thanks to both of you for, for coming on board.
1: Good stuff. And, of course, to Nick in the booth, who's been our producer and also um, doing his own Drop Kickoff podcasts and writing a book, did we dare say. I don't yeah. know how public that is, but amazing stuff, Nick, uh, getting us all organised and and Making us look somewhat professional. So uh, thanks to everyone for the year. We may be back again if something big news happens in Australian rugby, but otherwise uh, stick with Green and Gold Rugby. We'll still try and cover the news we can and we'll catch you on the uh, I'll catch you on the interwebs. Heels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Gregan. Drop goal from Larkham! Up it goes! Could you believe it? Larkham has to be a de